0: Hey and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen.
1: Today is gonna be probably one of the simplest messages that you have ever heard. And the reason I say that is because when Even in the Jewish culture, the simplicity of the gospel was offensive because they had worked so hard to accomplish so much. But Jesus came and changed it all. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at today. I would wonder, how many list makers do we have in the house? You like to make a list. Maybe it's you start your day with that list. You know exactly what you're gonna do. And look, if you're a guy, you have your list. And then you realize that you do something that's not on the list, and so you'll put it on the list just to scratch it out. to make Y'all have done it, right? Just to make you feel like you've accomplished something. I do it all the time, every day, every day. But we see that there's often that we make lists. Maybe it's to go to the grocery store. My, my wife being down in her back, I've got the privilege of going to the grocery store. If you ever see a man in the grocery store by himself, you know he has no clue where he's going. You go back and forth, but I've got my list. I've got my list. Or maybe you make that list going to Home Depot for your first trip. <laughs> you all, see, y'all all know exactly what I'm talking about. But then there's also a time that we make a list when there's big decisions to be made. Maybe you're deciding what, what home to buy. Maybe you're deciding a, a job change or maybe you're deciding, you know, who knows what. Maybe it's to, to buy a different car. I don't know. But, but then all of a sudden, we, we, we're put in this predicament where we've gotta, we've gotta weigh it all out and to see what is gonna be the wisest decision for us to make. And we know that anytime we make these lists, we're gonna try to see which one weights the heaviest. So for lack of, you know, definition, we'll, oh, yeah, here we, have already started out great. <laughs> Somebody, Morgan, I'm sorry I hit you with that one. Please, God, please. Anybody wanna pray over this one? Right, If it don't, we're riding in blue. Ha! Ah. So we've got our pros, and we've got our cons, right? So if we're looking at a job change, if we're looking at a situation of where we're gonna change jobs, we begin to think, okay, what are all the positives of this job change? More money. Praise God, right? Praise God. If we get more money. There's West one, that's one pro. Okay, maybe you get an, An upgrade in your office. Maybe you get a company car. Maybe the benefit package is better. You don't know. But then all of a sudden, you got this list of pros. Here's all the positives that come with this new job change. But then on the other side, we write down all of the negatives. What's the negative? you're like me, I hate change. So this would definitely be something bad. I've got to change something. I've got to move homes. Maybe it is sell a house or sell home, whatever. But then at the end of it, we've made our list of pros and cons, and then we step back and we say, okay, if this was on a scale, now we're gonna look at which side is the heaviest, which side has the, the, the most weight, and in a lot of cases, that is the side that we're gonna choose. That is the side that we're gonna choose. Now look, I'm not saying that this is a biblical way to make decisions, not at all. But we all know that this is something that we can relate to that we're gonna make these lists, we're gonna weigh out the goods and the bads, and then we're gonna go with where the most weight is. Now what I want you to realize today is this is not some spiritual lesson that I'm teaching here, but what I think this will do is this will get us, get us aware of what Paul is actually warning the church at Philippi about. He's warning these new believers, he's warning these new Christians of list makers. He's he's warning these new believers of, of the Jewish tradition that they've been delivered from. And so he doesn't want them to fall back. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, and we're gonna be going verses one through 10 today. But in the first three verses, here's where Paul warns the church at Philippi. He says, finally, my brethren. Now look, finally does not mean, okay, we're almost over. What finally means in this text is it meaning, okay, here's, we're going on to the next thing. We've been talking about all this other stuff, now we're moving forward. So finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard for you. Verse two, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, and beware of the false circumcision. Verse three, for we are the true circumcision. He's talking about the believers, the Christians, the church. We are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glorify in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in our flesh. Now look, Paul starts this out and he says, look, it's no trouble for me to write this to you again, but I'm doing it for protection, I'm doing this so it's gonna be as a safeguard for you. And so what we realize is that they've heard this before. They've heard this simple truth before. And so what he's talking about, what he's warning them about is exactly what we said just a moment ago. He's warning them about the false teachers. He's warning them about the teachers that are trying to to basically suck these new believers back into the old way of thinking. Because remember, they grew up under the Jewish law. They grew up under the mindset of having to cross all the T's, dot all the I's, make sure their checklist was very, very long, and this is the mindset that they were married to. This is what they were held in bondage by, and Paul is saying, look, that's the very thing that Christ came to save you from, so you cannot go back to the way it used to be because there's freedom in Christ, so be aware of these list makers Now, to simplify it, look, y'all have heard me a thousand times, I'm a simple-minded guy. And so I wanted to kind of step in the mind of, of maybe what a Jew was feeling. And so if they were list makers, it's almost like this middle school mindset that that relationship with Christ could be something like this. He loves me. You guessed it, he loves me what? He loves me not. And so now, as a Jew... As they sit back and they try to cross all the T's, they try to dot all the I's, they begin to make this list. Okay, he loves me, I didn't steal today, I didn't lie today, I didn't covet today, I didn't do this today, I was nice today, and all of a sudden this list goes on and on and on, but then all of a sudden they realize, oh well I did make some mistakes today, so uh, you know what, I, I, I did get angry. I did actually covet, so now I've lied and coveted, so you know what I'm saying, so yes, yeah, so see, that's just an onward cycle of going down, And but now all of a sudden, that Jew would stand back, and he would look back and go, oh no. <sighs> well, I've had a good day today, so that means he loves me. Or I've had a bad day today, and that means, you guessed it, he loves me not. Can I tell you that this is a very, very dangerous place to be? There is bondage in this. There is chains in this. Because this this is that vicious cycle that we can never do enough. We can never be good enough. We're always going to fail, and we stay in this mindset of He loves me, He loves me not. But that mindset is what these new Christians have been delivered from. They've been set free from that because they understand that he loves me is because of what Christ has done, not based off what they are doing or what they have done. And so we see that, that that Paul is warning against that mindset. He's saying, look, don't go back to those chains. Don't go back to being a slave to the law. Don't go back to the mindset of I've gotta be good enough in order to make God love me. And then he goes on to talk about them. He calls them some pretty harsh names. He calls them dogs. Talking about these false teachers. He says, look, beware of the dog. I guarantee you'll never see a yard sign that says beware of dog and not think of it differently now. But when he's talking about beware of the dog, he's saying be, they were literally talking about them as, as scavengers, as troublemakers. And it said that what they would do is they were, they were carrying infection into the lives of people. That's what these false teachers were doing. Then he says they were evil workers. They were teaching sinners the only way to be saved was through your works. You can only be saved when you're good enough. Then he goes in to calls them also the mutilators of the flesh. And that's talking about circumcision, that you're only saved if you've been circumcised. And so you had people getting circumcised just so they would be saved. But at what it was doing, it was leaving everything into the hands of man to achieve salvation, to accomplish this love that they were trying to have God bestow upon them. They thought they had the ability to earn it. And Paul is saying, look, it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. That mindset is the very thing that Jesus Christ came and died to save you from. And so he's simply warning them of this bondage. You know, there's often times that we see all throughout the scripture where Paul repeats himself. This is one of them. And you're thinking, well, man, that guy just don't ever remember. No, it's it's because it's important. There's a lot of topics that Paul will repeat a lot of times, and I believe with all the conviction in me, this is one that needs to be revisited all the time, even in the life of a believer. Because how often do we beat ourselves up the same way that, that, that Paul's warning them of, we even as Christians, look, we would all stand in agreement that we were saved by, through faith and faith alone. That's easy to claim, that's easy to sing. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine, Paul writes that. He says here in verses eight and nine, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, for the church, for the Christian, if, if, if we were all to, to take a vote and say, how many of you believe that? We would all raise our hand because it's the word of God. However, while we believe that, are you anything like me that we have days where we don't necessarily feel that? That we don't necessarily feel that God loves us based off grace and faith? That we get caught in that mindset of, well, I've had a bad day, there's no way God loves me. I, fall back, I fell back into the temptation that I thought I was—that I was over. I, fall, I fell back into this, to the chains of an addiction, or I fell back into to something that I thought I was freed from. But now all of a sudden, I've I've slipped up, I've messed up, and in our mind we think, okay, you know what? There's no way God can love me, and then a lot of times we as believers will say, you know what? Not only does He there's no way you can love me, but I, you know what? I don't, I don't even know if I'm saved. Because if I was saved, would I really still live that way? If I was really, really saved, would I still struggle with this sin? And can I tell you that the answer that struggle with sin is never going away, but now you have the power of the Holy Spirit that gives you the strength and the courage to overcome the very temptation, the very addiction that was always hanging in your face you now, because of Christ being in you, have the ability and power to overcome it. But there's days that we still live in our, in our flesh. There's days that we will still fall in to that trap. And now all of a sudden, even as the believer, we get caught in this mindset of, ah, because of what I'm doing, he loves me not. Because of what I've done, he loves me not. And that's a very discouraging place to be. That's a very lonely place to be. And so if we're gonna talk about lists, what you gotta love is is Paul's confidence. What Paul is saying, he's saying, look, if our salvation is based off of a list, nobody had a better list than I did. Nobody had a better list than I did. Nobody was better at being a Christian than I was. And he goes on to describe that in Philippians chapter three, verses four through six. Look, he unpacks everything that he's done. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as the righteousness, which is the law, I'm found blameless. So what Paul has done is he's he's made a list. And he begins to make his list, and he says, look, if anybody had the ability to earn God's love, it would have been me. Because of all of this religious activity that I've participated in, everything that I've conquered, everything that I've accomplished, if anybody had the ability to earn God's love, it was me. And so what he begins to do is he unpacks all of his religious activities. The first thing he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. We see that he's saying, hey, look, I did what I was supposed to do. I jumped through the hoop. Hey, obviously, he didn't, his parents. Yeah, y'all, yeah, anyway, we're not going into all that detail. So he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel, which means I was God's chosen people anyway. That's who I was, right? I was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was a very prominent tribe to be a part of, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where his lineage came from. That's where Paul had come from, or Saul at the time. And so what we notice about these first three things, all three of these things were based off who his family was. All three of these things are what he had inherited because of his bloodline, because of of who he was. Because of his family, he grew up in a Christian home, His parents, that was the perfect home. I don't, this is, I'm just, this is not in here. I'm just thinking if it was a hypothetical. But everything according to the outside looked good. And then all of a sudden he goes on to list everything that he did, that he himself did. Everything that he accomplished. If you remember, he says, "I'm I'm the Hebrew of the Hebrews. What that means is I've lived up to my family name. I've done exactly what my family had instructed me to do. He said, I was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he says, when it it came to the law, I was a Pharisee, which meant he knew the law. He lived by the law. He He checked all the boxes. He did everything the way he was supposed to do. And then he says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. What that means is I defended my religion with everything that I had. I defended my religion with everything that I had. And then he goes on to say, not only did I have zeal, but I was a persecutor of the church, but as to righteousness of the law, I was found what? Blameless. Blameless. I lived up to following all the rules. Nobody ever put forth the effort that I did to earn God's love. Nobody ever put forth the energy that I did to live out this Christian life. So if anybody had the ability to earn God's love, it was me. It was me. So basically, when he says he's blameless, he's like the poster child of the Jews. He's that guy that none of us would like. You know that class, that person in the class that always get all, you know, that teacher's pet? That was him. He did everything right. No one put forth effort. You read in Galatians, you don't have to turn there, but Galatians 1, 14. Actually, I do want you to turn there because we're gonna come back. Flip to Galatians chapter one. Look at what he says in verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions, he's just proving. He said, look, nobody, I mean, nobody put forth the effort that I did. Nobody put forth the effort that I did to live by this law. But then all of a sudden, We're not gonna turn back there, but in Philippians 6 and 7, verse 6 is where he's just made his list of religion. He's just made his list of religion, but then in verse 7, everything changes. So somewhere between verse 6 and 7, life change happened in the life of Saul, what we know now as Paul. And so what I wanna do is you keep reading in Galatians 1:14, you gotta read it all together. If you read verse 14, 15, and 16, listen to what he says. And I was advancing, I know we just read it, we're gonna read it again. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Then verse 15, everything changes. But when God, but when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's the life change that happened between verse six and seven of Philippians three. But when God If you've been saved by the grace of God, you can all relate to that but when God moment happened. When he revealed his son to you, when he revealed and he offered that relationship to you. But what I want us to make sure that we're aware of is what actually happened. What actually happened in that that life transformation moment. Turn back to Philippians. It's the last time we're flipping, I promise. Look at what happens in verse seven and eight of Philippians chapter three. Remember, he's just finished making his list of religion. He's just finished making his list of everything that he's done in order to earn God's love. Look at verse seven and eight. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, I now count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. A lot of people would call these two verses the great exchange. And what happens on that road to Damascus when he had that encounter with God and he said that the Father revealed this son to him what he was doing was he was offering this relationship. He was offering this relationship with his one and only son that so he could be reconciled to this, to this holy and this righteous God. Because we see the word there, we see the word gain and we see the word loss. And this would have been used as an accounting terminology, as an accountant would use. This would be your profit and your loss column. But in the Jewish mindset, the way the Jews were wired is everything that they could do would be for their gain. This would be everything that they could do. But then all of a sudden, we've got this list over here that what would be the loss. And what Jews begin to do is they begin to recognize and to hear this gospel of what Jesus was offering This list exchange, because what's happening when Jesus Christ offers us this relationship, when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you, we, you know what that list is made up over here? We're gonna call it relationship list. So now we have religion versus relationship. But I want you to see the difference in the size of these lists. This is exhausting. This is where the Jews live, but now all of a sudden, what does Paul say that was on this list? Know Christ Jesus. This is what was offensive to the Jews because they've exhausted themselves in this lifestyle. And now, all of a sudden, as the Holy Spirit reveals himself to Paul, to you, to me, and he offers this relationship, he said, Here's where salvation comes from knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. That's it. That's it. Because now, Jesus loves me, I love him. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That is the simplicity of the gospel message. That whether he loves you or he loves you or not is not based off how good you are, how long your list of religion is, but it's simply, does Jesus know you and you know him? That's it. That's the simplicity of the gospel, and Paul is begging and pleading. He's saying, look, don't go back to this. This is a difficult place to live. You'll never live up to this expectation, but here's the beauty of the gospel. Are you ready for this? Paul is saying, I'm gonna or Christ wants to exchange this list for your list. He's wanting to say, everything that you've counted as gain, go ahead and count it as loss. Because what I've realized in knowing Christ, all of a sudden this list, guess what he says it's become? Rubbish. You don't know what that means? Poop. (laughs) That's it. This list of everything that I thought was great, it doesn't even compare to that of knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. And the Holy Spirit of God says, hey look, let's exchange this list. Let's exchange this list, exchange your work and the work that you've attempted to do for the work that my son's already completed. There's a lot more freedom. There's a lot more freedom in living in this than this. But you know, I wonder how many of us in this room this morning that if If I were to sit you down and look, here's a simple gospel presentation. If I were to sit you down this morning and I were to ask you and interview you, and I were to say, hey, when this life is over, why do you think you will receive eternal life? Why do you think you will go to heaven? Why do you think that? If I set you down one-on-one, there's a lot of us that would begin to answer the question by saying I. Number one, here's the first problem. We have a pronoun problem because every sentence begins with I. You're listing everything that you've done. I went to church. You know what? I even taught Sunday school for like five years. I taught Sunday school. I remember as a kid, I was I was baptized. I remember one time I filled out a card. I even checked the box on that card that I wanna know Jesus. Or maybe you say, well, I I gave some money. And all of a sudden that list goes on and on and there's no doubt in my mind there is somebody here this morning that this is what you think your salvation is based off. And can I tell you, I understand, I know you're in a miserable place. I know you are. Because that is a vicious cycle to live in. But what I wanna encourage you this morning is that the Son of God lived and died the perfect life. He did what you could not do. He suffered on the cross to pay the price of what you do, what I do. Simply so we could have this relationship. And so you say, Well, Brian, I, yeah, that's me. That's me. I thought this was what it was based off of. And you know what the enemy's going to tell you? You better not get up. You better not come pray. You better not tell anybody. So and so thought you were saved. So and so thought that you were their Sunday school teacher. You were their youth worker. You've been in the hallway greeting people for the last year and a half, smiling as if everything is great, knowing deep down inside because you're married to religion, you are absolutely miserable. And matter of fact, that's one of the reasons you're holding the door is because you want to know, okay, I've gotta do this so God will love me. But what you've gotta do today is you've gotta die to what everybody thinks. You've gotta die to what what people, here's the reality, if people are gonna talk about you, they probably ain't saved anyway. (laughs) I'm not the Holy Spirit, but it's the truth. And the enemy's gonna tell you, you better not move. They're gonna make fun of you. They're gonna point at you. I will never forget as long as I live the day that John Tankersley. A man who checked every single box on that list sat right there. And when we gave the invitation, this man that everybody thought had done everything walked down to this aisle with tears rolling down his face. And I thought he wanted the mic to preach. I was already trying to figure out how I was gonna get it off. But all of a sudden he said, I need to be saved. And can I tell you, I didn't hear nobody talking about him. If they would have, I'd have took him out back. (laughs) I'm just kidding, I'm awful little. I could have called for backups, I guess. (laughs) But what I am thankful for is that John Tankersley left his pride sitting in that seat. And he said, I don't care what anybody says. But here's what I also want you to understand. Salvation didn't occur because John Tankersley came to this altar. The Holy Spirit of God met him where he was at. But the reason that we move, the reason we invite people forward is so that we as a church family can celebrate and so potentially it begins speaking and opening the eyes and the heart of other people because the reality is, is so many people begin to move after a John Tankersley moves because they said, you know what? That's me too. That's me too. You say, well, Brian, what is it? What is it? How do I have this relationship? Number one, the Holy Spirit has to draw you to himself. I can't invite you to that, but he can. And so, if you're here this morning, if you repent of your sins, you turn from yourself, you turn from this religious list, you believe that Christ died on the cross, that he suffered the punishment that was yours, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day, he overcame death and was resurrected. If you believe that, if you trust that, if you put your weight in that, that's how you have a relationship with Christ. You turn from yourself. You turn to him and say, I'm tired of trusting me. And God, I'm ready to trust what your son did for me. I'm ready to trust that today. But you know, maybe you're a believer here today. Maybe you know you've been saved by the grace of God and and because of sin in your life, you begin to track all of your, he loves me, he loves me not. And you need to be reminded the same way that Paul is reminding these new believers, you need to be reminded today that 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 the love he has for you is not based of how good you are. The quote that I often say so many times that in Christ, there's nothing I can do to make him love me more and there's nothing I have done that can make him love me less. Whew, there's freedom in that. There is joy in that. You say, well, Brian, I fell back into addiction. He still loves you. Well, but he has to love me more when I'm, when I'm clean and I'm sober. Nope. He loves you right where you are. That's freedom. That's the freedom we sing about. That's the reason we can cry out how great thou art because his greatness has nothing to do with you. It doesn't change who he is. But you see, that's the beauty of knowing Christ. And and you get to see everything now is, is yes, it may have started out with knowing Jesus But now the more you get to know him, the more intimate relationship you have with him, now all of a sudden you realize that you have the same power he did. That resurrection power now lives in you. You now realize that you have fellowship with the Father at any time. And you then realize too that you will also be resurrected on the day of Christ. And so what happens is this list just begins to grow. That's a terrible arrow. But in the relationship that you have with him, you just continue to grow deeper. And so I wanna ask the question this morning. I wanna start out by asking the believer. Maybe you're here today and you know you've been saved by the grace of God. You know you've got that relationship, but the enemy has been in your ear and the enemy's been telling you you're worthless. You're of no value to the kingdom because of what you struggle with. You need to hear loud and clear. He is a liar and he's a deceiver. And what he wants to do is he wants to keep you on the bench. He wants to keep you on the sideline. But what you need to be reminded of today that He loves you right where you're at. The same power that resurrected the Son of God is now living in you. And in that, you need to walk in that freedom. And look, every time that we, we get in a season where we're trying to be obedient, Maybe some of you have been wrestling with with a call. Maybe some of you have been wrestling a place to serve or or maybe someone to share the gospel with. I have no idea what that could, could entail. But what happens is the enemy reminds you of every little sin that you participate in because he tells you, hey, you're worthless. You don't have the grounds to share that. You're so hypocritical. And what happens is we believe the lies of the enemy and that sin paralyzes us. What you need to tell the enemy today is that's the very thing that the Son of God died for. And I'm free in that. I'm free in that. And then what begins to happen is that supernatural change. You begin to fall in love deeper with him and now all of a sudden, what used to be appealing, what used to be counted as gain. Now in knowing Christ, it looks like a loss. Some of you today, as even as the believer, you need to be reminded and you need to come exchange your list today and say, God, I'm placing my list of religion on the altar because I know that's what you died for and I know that's what you saved me from. But now for the next layer of this response. I wonder if there's somebody here that doesn't have that relationship with Christ. That you thought the only way that you could achieve love was by living up to a certain standard. And there's no doubt in my mind that that individual is here. I feel for certain that you're sitting there right now and you're going, I thought that's what it was all about. Maybe you've been a member of a church for 30 years. Or maybe this is your first time here. Can I tell you, religion will never save you. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to be about what did you do, it's going to be about who did you trust. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship. Because you know maybe it's affected by the home you grew up in. I know as an athlete you can remember in sports, you always had to be good enough to make the coach love you. You always had to be the best athlete to try to earn the coach's love. And I can remember the most miserable seasons in life, especially when I was in middle school, was when you tried out for the team. That was the loneliest walk across that gym floor to see if the team was posted and to see if you made it or you got cut. Can I tell you today that in Christ, that will never be the case because if I made the team it was based off how good I did. How many free throws I made. If I could dribble with my left hand, if I could dribble with my right hand, it was all based off me. But can I tell you that's the beauty of a relationship with Christ? Is that when we approach the throne room of God? Jesus Christ the son of God We'll be with you. And he'll say, hey, this one's mine. This one's mine. What a glorious day. Because it's not gonna have anything to do with how good you are, what you have or you haven't accomplished. The son of God's gonna say, the proof is in my hands. I paid for him. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know him, you don't have that relationship, you're living in religion, don't wait to the response. If that's you and you need to make a mad dash to this altar and say, I'm tired of living religion, I can promise you, John Tankersley will probably meet you down here because he knows exactly where you're sitting.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 10.45 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you. We're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.